0: to make their voice be heard and advocate for their, their needs. So it has to happen both ways for, for the, the solution to be implemented in the field and actually to, to reach the beneficiaries and, and to have a, a positive impact.
1: Hi and welcome everyone to a new episode of the podcast Genuine Climate, this is Anika. In this podcast, I interview experts about the nexus of gender and climate change, and we discuss how people all around the world are affected. As we can only combat the climate catastrophe while achieving gender equality, my goal is to generate attention for the deeply interconnected topics of gender equality and climate justice. We need all hands on deck in order to overcome the crisis of our time, because only together we can change our world for. Well, and yeah, welcome everyone today for the very first episode of our Water Month. We'll be focusing on the water, gender and climate nexus now for one month. And today we'll be starting with our first guest, who is Hector Alexander Serrano from Mexico. Hector is a senior water resource management specialist at the World Bank and co-leading the World Bank's Latin American initiatives on water security and waste resources. He is leader and collaborator numerous water initiatives in Latin America from institutional modernization processes in Chile to climate resilience projects in Mexico. He has over 10 years' experience in institutions, infrastructure and water and holds a Master of Science in Water Science Policy and Management from the University of Oxford. We will speak about the Water Matters Report the World Bank published and why it is important to especially focus on Latin America. Hi, Hector. I am so happy to have you here today.
0: Well, thanks a lot for, for the invitation. I think it's great to disseminate our work. and glad to be here talking about this, this report. Thanks for the invite.
1: Thanks for, for being here. It's uh, fantastic to have you. Um, Hector, to start with, um, I would actually like to ask you where are you right now, and where did you actually grow up to? To give us a little little bit of a background of who you are and, yeah, share a little bit of your personal story.
0: Well, thanks a lot. I'm currently in Tepostlan. Um, this is a little town in, in New Mexico City. I was born and raised in, in Mexico City, um, but I currently live in Bogota. Um, as you know, the World Bank has placements all over the world, and I'm currently uh, on, on my first. Uh, post outside of her headquarters so I'm I've been living there for, for three years and hopefully going for one or two more years. Originally uh, my family is actually from the north of Mexico from, from Zacatecas. It's um, a mid-sized to maybe small-sized city uh, very rural with a lot of agriculture and a lot of, of water issues so I, I think um, thinking back to my childhood I think that's where my my need to to work or understand a little bit of of why water uh, was important and how you could develop solutions to to overcome the water crisis. It started there. We didn't have. We had to to shower once uh, every week, and then we all were struggling uh, to get water to to feed the, the cattle and and the animals, and everything was like uh, turn. I mean, the whole economy of of is around water and when water arrives and when can you harvest and when can you uh, give water to the animals when can you shower so it's, it's a, yeah. pretty much a big deal so yeah. that's when when all the the things started
1: yeah so basically you, you experienced that water matters <laughs> exactly, <laughs> early exactly. early in your childhood already wow exactly. yeah and, and now, well, basically, you, you published a report on that, on why water matters. Um, how come? And what is, what is the report actually all about? Well, because I, I suppose it's not about your childhood experiences.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not about not taking showers every day, but, <laughs> but it, it is a, um, a vision of why it is important for um, uh, politicians, for government officials, for society, for NGOs, for academia uh, to focus on, on, on water. Uh, so basically, we wanted to have some numbers and, and a storyline that could be uh, shared with people and try to advocate a little more to position water as on one, of, one of the key topics uh, for the next generations, for climate change, but also for economic and, and social development. So what we try to do is... <laughs> To, to have some numbers and to have a more holistic take on, on water issues. So if you go through through the report you're gonna find an argumentative uh, line and concrete examples on why water is becoming important for uh, government economies. Um, we focus on on Latin America uh, <clears throat> because uh, we believe that Latin America had a huge economic development that was, hiddenly based on water. I mean, if you look at uh, the numbers until 2012, you're going to see lack like, countries, GDPs, uh, social indicator, and growth just <clears throat> going in an upward trends. Uh, and most of those indicators and most of the, uh, those gains in, in Latin America were actually fueled by water, they were fueled by increases in water supply and sanitation, they were fueled by also the eradication of some waterborne disease, they were fueled by uh, uh, the implementation of irrigation districts uh, in most of the countries, in Mexico, in Peru, in Chile, and all those developments that are actually contributing to to lax economy, uh, at some point, they have to do with water resources. So that's what the report is about. It's uh, about constructing a narrative around water and trying to convince people that that it's important with arguments and also with numbers. There are few areas that we still need more evidence, and we are continuously working on, on that evidence to bring about to, to politicians uh, <clears throat> to government also to, to, to the private sector. Um, but that's that's the that's part of our job no? at the World Bank we are not only a bank that that lends money but we are also a knowledge bank so mm-hmm. that's part of, of our mission to start producing knowledge and to to give the forefront of, of what we know in, in a certain topic
1: yeah and you you just mentioned that water is important for the next and for the future generations and um, well and that it especially is important also about uh, facts and figures when we look at uh, Latin America. But but why is water so important when we think about the future?
0: <laughs> well, you, you're talking a, a little bit about the, the, the future scenarios on, on climate change and the future development scenarios. Um, yeah. What we can say is that now we are uh, already living in a complex situation. And actually one of the, the key uh, elements that fuel uh, our thoughts around this report were the social uh, protests before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the recent history, you had protests in Chile, uh, you had protests in Colombia, you had protests in, protests in Mexico. And yeah. part of, of the discourse of, of people's unrest were actually um, focused or, or touching upon uh, the different conflicts around water. Uh, nowadays, in two thousand nineteen, you already had around one hundred and fifty million people living in <clears throat> water scarce areas in, in Latin America only. So those are people that are already at risks uh, of future climate change impacts, and that could see their livelihoods uh, well uh, impacted by droughts or by uh, increasing competition around water. Uh, if you look at the the Chile protests before um, <clears throat> before the pandemic, a lot of the discourse. W- was around how were water resources managed and who were were the uh, the ones holding on to the to the water rights of water source managed and it not it, it is not a matter of of uh, injustice it is a matter of, of transparency people wanted to know what was happening with the water and who was using it for what the same thing happened in the north of Mexico in Baja california uh, <clears throat> there was a, a demand and also in the in the north part of Mexico in the bordering uh, with the conflict uh, uh, with the irrigation districts and, and the, the treaty that was supposed to give water to the United States in a certain volume, the <clears throat> people were discussing about the transparency and information around water. And that was one one part of the conflicts because it is already becoming scarce in some areas in, in Latin America. Then if you add into water, into the current water scarcity, the water pollution, they're gonna find less availability. Um, There is already approximately 40 to 60% of drinking water that are coming from aquifers that are facing growing threats uh, for pollution and overexploitation. Um, And that's already a sign that could become an increasing risk in in the future. Then if you look at the impacts of floods and droughts from past uh, series, you're gonna find that the impacts from floods and droughts combine. It is around, and that's what we um, calculated in this report: three percent of GDP. Yeah, so that that's a lot of impact in, in, for uh, economic growth. Um, I'm not gonna give you the the whole distribution of numbers because you have those in the report. But the key messages is the risks are already there. I, I mean, in Latin American countries are already experiencing water um, supply risks in terms of water stress, in terms of flooding, but also in terms of, of pollution. And this is due to economic growth, to the need to <clears throat> to feed more people, to the need of, of growing uh, agriculture and education. But it's also due to, to several um, factors that we found in during the report that are linked to the way that water resources are managed at the present time. You know?
1: And if we add then climate change, well, the whole picture gets even worse.
0: Exactly. So, what, what climate change is doing in Latin America is exacerbating the peaks. And uh, so, the flood peaks and then the drought peaks. Yeah. If you yeah. look at, at, at Chile, the trend is going to, you're going to find that they're experiencing already. Uh, a drought over more than than five years. I, I don't don't remember how many years have they been in, in in a drought scenario, and if you factor in future climate change, the situation is going to be uh, even more uh, extreme. <clears throat> so climate change, what it's going to do is to exacerbate those fluctuations and actually to increase the the risks and, and uncertainties in the in the whole water cycle, and it can even make it worse the, the stress that we are already experiencing and the conflict that we are already experiencing and then the, the pollution that, that's already there. Also one, one of the key issues or stress factors around uh, water in lack is the decreasing of, of water storage. Mm-hmm. there's also a, a huge array of infrastructure assets uh, was uh, constructed uh, around in different countries and in different timelines but all all happened around the 60s and, and 70s all the the large stamps and big infrastructure and some of those large infrastructure they need to be upgraded in terms of mm-hmm. renovation of assets in terms of operation and maintenance mm-hmm. and also we start we need to start looking at different storage um, manners of, of, of how you're gonna save water for uh, the dry spells and we're not thinking about dams but we're thinking about soil conservation we're thinking about underwater water storage we're thinking also about nature-based solutions that <clears throat> help us to reduce the, the peaks uh, in the water cycle and help us have a, a more smoother curve in the hydrological ty- cycle and help us also to, to store water in a more natural uh, environment and a more uh, flexible mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. environment. Another key, key topic that we're touching upon is the need to incorporate uh, circular economy in the whole water cycle. So one of the key issues of black of is efficiency. And we're talking about efficiency in the distribution networks. We're talking about efficiency in the irrigation um, side uh, when you're looking at, at the agriculture production uh, value chain. And then we're talking also about institutional efficiency, you know, how institutions yeah. are, are managing uh, water rights, how institutions are allocating water, how institutions are delivering water services. We found a big, a big gap there. Um, and um, if you want to look at the whole efficiency cycle, then you have to, to talk also about circular economy because the, the use of of wastewater is not mainstream a lot in, in our continent, in Latin America, but we think it's going to be a, a source, an important source of water to add to the natural um, water balance.
1: So there are different solutions already being, being discussed, um, but I believe it's also the economic power just of importance when we talk about that whole topic but um now we want to actually dive into the slightly different question um is there is there anything people like you and me or just people living in rural areas in in latin america is there anything What you suggest them to do um what you think they could they could do to Enhance that there is more water, or something. Is there any any suggestion you could give these people how to overcome the water crisis? Is there anything mentioned in the report?
0: Look, so so there there is a few a few items that are, that are relevant. Um, when when you're talking about rural, you're talking about community led participation and community led um, water systems, uh, water distribution networks, and sanitation um, systems. Uh, so one one of the the items um, that we are proposing as part of, of of the report is to increase participation of rural communities in, in the decision making. Yeah, um, I think uh, rural communities and people that are already living in, in water scarcity or are living in, in areas prone to risks of flooding and droughts, they're aware of, of the issues, uh, but there's there's a there's a mismatch between their local awareness and also the information that they have regarding what, what can happen in the next year, what can happen in the next two years. So uh, in some of our projects, what we try to do is link more the scientific and the, the knowledge that's coming from uh, these institutions that are having weather forecast or, or climate forecast or uh, technological solutions to the communities um, in the field, the rural communities and the communities everywhere in the countries that that we work. Um, so, So one of the key aspects is to bring to, to have this knowledge reached to the users and to the beneficiaries but also for the users in those communities to participate and, and to, to make their voice be heard and advocate yeah. for their their needs yeah uh, so it has to happen in, in, in both ways in both directions, for, uh, yeah. um, for, for the, the the solution to be implemented uh, in the field and actually to, to reach the beneficiaries and, and to have a, a positive impact uh, so we are encouraging more uh, participation in river basin planning. We we think that the way uh, river basin council, councils in, in Latin America are being set. Uh, in some cases, they're not performing as they were supposed to. And We are uh, working on, on, on models and, and figures that could empower uh, uh, a better and more transparent decision-making. For example, as I mentioned in river basin councils, in communities that are managing their own water systems, and they're managing their own sanitation systems and they are managing their own irrigation systems. We are thinking about exploring new ways of of public participation. We think that nowadays technology can offer us a a, a very powerful uh, manner of of bringing uh, information and making uh, communities participation more agile. So we're thinking about e-government solutions. We're thinking in in some communities even um, uh, there, there are a, f- a few places where you could implement, I mean, this is not for, for everyone, but there are a few places where you could implement some sort of, of, of virtual working tables where you reach out to people or like uh, WhatsApp messaging that are gonna give information about early warnings or, or maybe about information about how it's gonna look the, the rain forecast for the for the next year. And also you could set, set up service through WhatsApp and et cetera, et cetera. So, so we are thinking a little bit more on, on those uh, on those tools, but we definitely would like to see more um, community participation in the, the, the water allocation um, and thinking and in, in, the, in the process of, of deciding the river basin plans, in the process of, of um, river basin management and we also would like to see um, governments try to to do that last mile of transforming the data and information to reach the, the the communities. We are supporting that in in several projects around Latin America, but I think that's where we need to be a little bit more more engaged, and governments also are a little bit more thoughtful about the messages that they send to, to the type of information they send to outer world communities.
1: Yeah. Actually, in every episode I've done so far, the community engagement and community participation—that was something which was what was mentioned in every single episode so far—and um, so so I, I thank you a lot for making that point let, again so much clear that it's also very important to look at it. Both ways, like the community needs to engage, but also the public sector, the governments, the institutions need to to provide them the tools how they really can engage because mm-hmm. it won't work for them to engage in a very academic scientific way, but rather in a in a in a way they really can can collaborate.
0: No, and, and as I mentioned, the, the people understand the issues. They're experiencing and, them, they're, and they're every, the Claro, claro, and they they, they they have their traditional manners of, of storing water they have also their, their particular solutions uh, but then we have we need to translate because sometimes information is not accurate i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have farmers that are only waiting for the rain and they never know when uh, you're going to have the first rain or when mm-hmm. they can uh, put in the first seed then it, it, it doesn't matter if they, they have uh, good seeds or or they have uh, good manners of preparing the land they're both complementary if the rain
1: doesn't come well
0: (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) but then you already have this technology that that say that this year you're gonna have rain not in july but in august so you can prepare a little bit better yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: and you can like kind of like fix the communication yes exactly, exactly um yeah, Hector. There, there is one more question. I like. There are two more questions I have, but one is focusing on on that very topic we are talking about. We are also we are talking about the water and water why water matters, but um, I would like to dive a little bit into into the matter of why water matters, looking at the nexus of gender inequality and climate mm-hmm. climate justice or climate change, better said. Um. Why, why does water matter, especially when we talk about gender equality and climate justice? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, gender is in, in very different aspects around water. Um, so as many uh, of probably you know, the, the gender gap in access to water services is worse for, for women than, than for men. Now, uh, So when you look at the, the statistics, uh, usually there's a, there's a gap between water access and services. So services for water supply and sanitation between women and men, there's still a gap. Um, but then there's, an, an, an there's tons of, of literature uh, written about it. So there, there are women, the ones that have to fetch the water from the household. So they spend more time uh, um, fetching the water. Uh, they are more ver- vulnerable because they have uh, sanitation facilities that are not next to the household and are outside. So we, we, women, when they have to go to sanitation facilities, they are more vulnerable uh, to violence, to sexual harassment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's 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 tons tons written on that. So that's a, that's a, um, an important aspect. How do you make ser- what the supply and sanitation services more thoughtful and more uh, <clears throat> so so. So their design are thinking about that gender perspective, and so that's one of uh, a side of, of the matter. But another um, uh, important uh, part, and that we actually uh, found out while writing the report, has to do precisely with what we just mentioned with community participation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a, a study carried out recently—well, not so recently, some, some years ago—in uh, irrigation services in Peru. Mm-hmm. and they found out that actually uh, women were the ones that were deciding on the irrigation uh, on the crops that were going to be uh, sort of, uh, on which crops they're going to be produced mm-hmm. and on the irrigation patterns that were going to be followed. Mm-hmm. And those decisions were being made on a household level. Mm-hmm. So so women knew um, what they wanted and they were actually the, the brains of the irrigation systems, but they weren't there to communicate that that outside the households. So within the households, they had that voice and they had that, that empowerment. Mm-hmm. But then outside, when it when it came to to communicate that to the the, the people that were managing the irrigation districts and to the people that were um, in the asambleas in rurales uh, to, to decide on the, on the distribution and, on, and the irrigation their voice could not be be heard mm-hmm. and they didn't have that, this um, representation. So one of the, the factors that we found in terms of, of gap was actually how do you how do you bring? These women that are already making the decisions, the yeah. husband, to the public sphere and to make the decisions publicly, and mm-hmm. you empower them and mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you make them feel secure and you make them feel, uh, uh, well, that uh, they already know, then they can be the managers in a more. And, uh, the,
1: and the leaders and the. Exactly. The, like exactly. empower them, really. Exactly. Empower the voices. Yeah. yeah, And
0: that that's one aspect. Um, the other aspect is about the career of women around water and that has to do with water utilities even public and, and, and private it doesn't it doesn't matter um <clears throat> so because I have my children having breakfast <laughs> <laughs> um so that's another um interesting topic that we, we found during our, our report um is that basically there is a huge gap in the the employment of women in the water sector, in water utilities, in management positions for, for water. And actually, for example, in Colombia, you have only 18% of the workforce in the water sector is <clears throat> it's female. Lack is not that bad overall. So if you look at the global average and then you look at lack's average, it's still uh, a little bit higher. So for example, um, <clears throat> the global average for women engineers is 21% and in that is 35%. And then the share of female engineers globally is 20 uh, and in that it's 28%. So the numbers are not that bad, but still there's a gap and still there's uh, a lot of room for women in the water sector in Latin America mm-hmm. to... Which uh, uh, better positions in the management, uh, management positions and leadership positions mm-hmm. in water utilities, in councils, in agencies uh, managing water. So we have a, um, a platform where the, the World Bank has joined the platform called Equal Aqua to precisely promote. Um, those uh, those positions for those female positions in in the water sector, which is interesting uh, to have an <clears throat> to have a more more balanced approach so those are the, the two new topics uh, yeah. besides uh, yeah. the gap in, in water services um, that we also want to, to explore a little bit uh, better and we also want to to promote within our projects
1: and I especially like the one about where well, you talk about the management positions, because we know that the teams who are diverse, diverse in a in a manner of um, like genders or ethical backgrounds and stuff, they act more sustainable and more climate friendly. Um, Hector, there is my last question. Is always the question, what recommendations would you give to break the nexus of gender and climate? Um, for example, to to establish water security everywhere. Are there any more suggestions we would give? Because you already gave so many. So if you have some more, I will highly appreciate that. (laughs) No,
0: well, I think this has to be embedded since the design of the projects, you know. Mm -hmm. so when you're designing a water plant sanitation system, you need to think already how you're going to incorporate gender aspects.
1: Yeah. When you're
0: designing a irrigation system, then you have to know who's going to manage the system and how decisions are going to be made. And there you have to incorporate that, that general perspective. And then also in, in the management of, of river basins, what we're seeing is, is that particular drive to incorporate more people and to incorporate more, more stakeholders and then you have to think about who are the ones that are really calling on the, the community decisions and uh, leader lead natural leaders in the community to bring them on board and to have them speak at those river basin councils mm-hmm. uh, so so I think it has to come within the, the early designs of the project and the, the solutions that we are already used to do but then it has to come also um, with specific rules and regulations to promote that, that participation. So when you're also um, doing the, the, the legal framework, then I think it's important also to bear in mind those those questions and to make them explicit. Yeah, Because it's not only like the goodwill and then one pilot project that is gonna change uh, the way this perspective is included into the yeah. management of water, then, then you have to work also within uh, the government uh, systems and then the regulatory system to make that uh, more mainstream across the floor for all the projects and all the different uh, initiatives that the government's gonna have. And so I think it, it's twofold. When you design a specific project, then you have to think about it. But then when you also, interact with governments in terms of regulations and institutional framework that are going to set the basis across the country, then you're going to have to ask those those same, same questions. And I think those are never dull questions to ask. Um, so so I encourage people, to don't be afraid of, of raising those those issues. I think uh, more and more they're in the back of the mind of, of water professionals and water management, water managers, um, but they need a constant reminder. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. We
0: all, always need a constant reminder, not not to forget that perspective and not to to let that uh, those solutions uh, go. Uh, and that, so that's it. It's also a, a cultural change that. Uh, yeah,
1: and it's a cultural change, and it needs need time.
0: It needs time, but I think progress, progress is, is, is good and I, I think it's also interesting to have more and more people um, analyzing these issues and also giving more facts and data and, and like this is I think is the only way to to actually convince people and to have a, a solid discourse
1: Yeah, Thank you so so much Hector, I really really enjoyed that very very interesting and inspirational and like a talk of so many aspects and angles thank you so so much thank you thank you everybody for listening please make sure to hit the bell to not miss any episode because only together we can change our world for the better